Section 19 of The Wit and Humor of America, Volume 8. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rick Rodney. Litigation by Bill Arp. The first case I ever had in justice court, I employed old Bob Leggins who was a sort of a self-educated fool. I gave him two dollars in advance, and he argued the case, as I thought, on two sides, and was more luminous again me than for me. I lost the case, and found out afterwards that the defendant had employed leggings after I did, and get him five dollars to lose my case. I look upon this as a warning to all clients to pay big fees and keep your lawyer out of temptation. My experience in litigation have not been satisfactory. I sued Sugar Black once for the price of a load of shucks. He said he wanted to buy some roughness, and I agreed to bring him a load of shucks for two dollars. My wagon got broke, and he got tired of waiting and sent out after the shucks himself. When I called on him for the pay, he seemed surprised and said it had cost him two dollars and a half to have the shucks hauled, and that I justly owed him half a dollar. He was more bigger than I was, so I swallowed my bile and sued him. His lawyer pled a set-off for hauling. He pled that the shucks was unsound, that they was barred by limitations, that they didn't agree with his cow, and that he'd never got any shucks from me. He spoke about an hour and alluded to me as a swindler about forty-five times. The bedeviled jewelry went out and brought in a verdict again me for fifty cents and four dollars for costs. I haven't saved many shucks on my plantation since, and I don't intend to till it gets less expensive. I look upon this as a warning to all folks never to go to law about shucks or any other small circumstance. The next trouble I had was with a feller I hired to dig me a well. He was to dig it for twenty dollars, and I was to pay him in meat and meal and such like. The vagabond kept getting along till he got all to pay, but hadn't dug nary a foot in the ground. So I made out my account and sued him as follows to wit. Old John Hanks to Bill Art, D.R. To one well you didn't dig, $20. Well, Hanks, he hired a cheap lawyer who read round extensively and said a heap of funny things at my expense and finally dismissed my case for what he called its ridiculum absurdum. I paid those costs and went home a sadder and a wiser man. I pulled down my little cabin and moved it some three hundred yards nigher to the spring, and I've drunk mighty little well water since. I look upon this case as a warning to all folks never to pay for anything till you get it, especially if it has to be dug. The next law case I had, I gained it all by myself by the force of circumstances. I bought a man's note that was given for the hire of a nigger boy, Dick. Finding he wouldn't pay me, I sued him before old Squire McGinnis, believing that it was such a dead thing that the devil couldn't keep me out of a verdict. The feller pled failure of consideration and non-est factum and ignus fatuous and infancy and that the nigger's name wasn't Dick but Richard. The old Squire was a powerful secesh and hated the Yankees amazing. So after the Lord got through his speech and finished up his reading from a book called Greenleaf, I rose forward to a attitude. Stretching forth my arms says I, Squire McGinnis, I would ask, sir, if this is a time in the history of our afflicted country when Yankee law books should be admitted in a southern patriot's court. Ain't we got a state of our own in the cold of Georgie laws that's printed on Georgie style? 
In the very first page of the gentleman's book, I see the name of the city of Boston. Yes, sir, it was written in Boston, where they don't know no more about the hire of a nigger than an ox knows about a man who will tan his hide. I said some more things. It was pinted and patriotic, and closed my argument by handing the book to the squire. He put on his specs, and after looking at the book about a minute, says he, Mr. Hop, you can have a judgment. And I hope that from henceforth no lawyer will presume to come before this honorable court with pies and documents to prove his case. If he do, the court will take it as an insult and send him to jail. I look upon this case as a warning to all folks who gamble in law to hold a good hand and play it well. High justice and patriotism are winning trumps. My next case was about stealing a hog. Larceny from the woods, I think they call it. I didn't have but one hog, and we had to let him run out to keep him alive, for acorns was cheaper than corn at my house. Old Romulus Ramsauer sort of wanted some fresh meat, and so he shot my shoat in the woods, and was catched carrying him home. He had cut off his ears and throwed him away, but we found him with the underbit in the right and the swallow fork in the left, and so Romulus was brought up square before the jury, and his defense was that it was a wild hog. The jury was out about two hours, and it brought in a verdict. We, the jury, know that shortly after the war the country was scarce of provisions, and in consideration of the hard time our poor people had in maintaining their families and the temptations that surrounded them, we find the defendant not guilty, but we recommend him not to do so any more. The motto of this case is that a man oughtn't to keep hogs in a poor neighborhood. After this I had a difficulty with a man by the name of Cohen and I thought I wouldn't go to law but would arbitrate. I had bought Tom Swillin's wheat at a dollar a bushel if he couldn't do any better, and if he could do better, he was to come back and give me the preference. The scamp went off and sold the wheat to Cohen for a dollar and five cents, and Cohen knowed all about his contract with me. Me and him liked to have fit, and perhaps would if I hadn't been puny. But we finally left it to Josh Billings to arbitrate. Old Josh deliberated on a thing three days and nights and finally brought in an award that Cohen should have the wheat and I should have the preference. I ain't submitted no more cases to arbitration since, and my advice to all people is to arbitrate nothing if your case is honest, but ain't no judge there to keep one man from tricking the other. An honest man don't stand no chance nowhere except in a courthouse with a good lawyer to back him. The motto of this case is never to arbitrate nothing but a bad case and take a good lawyer to advise, and pay him for it before you do that. But I got Fretman. I didn't, but my lawyer Marks did. Fretman was a nutmeg schoolteacher who had gone round my neighborhood with his school articles, and I put down a troop and Calhoun to go, and intended to send seven or eight more if he proved himself right. I soon found that the little nullifiers weren't learning anything, and on inquiry... I found that nutmeg was giving powerful long recesses and employing his time cheerfully in carrying on with a tolerable-sized female gal that was a-going to him. Troop said he heard the gal squeal one day, and he knowed Fretman was a-squeezing of her. I don't mind our boys a-squeezing of the Yankee gals, but I'll be blamed if the Yankees shall be squeezing iron. So I got mad and took the children away. At the end of the term, Fretman sued me for $18 and hired a cheap lawyer to collect it. Before this time, I had learned some sense about a lawyer, so I hired a good one and spread my pocketbook down before him and told him to take what would satisfy him, and he took. Old Phil Davis was the justice. 
Marx made the opening speech to the effect that every professional man ought to be able to illustrate his trade, and he therefore proposed to put Mr. Fretman on the stand and spell him. This motion was found hard, but it agreed with old Phil's notions of high justice, and says he, uh, Mr. Fretman, you will have to spell, sir. Marx then swore him that he would give true evidence in the case, and that he would spell every word in Daniel Webster's spelling book correctly to the best of his knowledge and belief, so help him, etc. I saw that he were a-trembling all over like a cold, wet dog. Says Marx, Mr. Fretman, spell tissic. Well, he spelt it, putting in a P-H and a T-H and a G-H and a Z-H, and I don't know what all, and I thought he were going up the first pop, but Marx said it were right. He then spelt him right straight along on all sorts of big words and little words and long words and short words, and he knowed them all, till finally Marx says, Now, sir, spell on Pompinosuk. Fretman drawled a long breath and said it warn't in the book. Marx proved it was by an old preacher who was a-sittin' by, and old Phil spoke up with power, says he, Mr. Fretman, you must spell it, sir. Fretman was sweating like a run-down filly. He took one pass at it and missed. You can come down, sir, says Marx. You've lost your case. And sure enough, old Phil give a verdict again him like a darn. Marx was a whale in his way. At the same court, he was about to non-suit a doctor because he didn't have his diploma, and the doctor begged the court for time to go home after it. He rode seven miles and back as hard as he could lick it, and when he handed it over, Marx says he, Now, sir, you will just take the stand and translate this Latin into English so that the court may understand it. Well, he just gave, for he couldn't do it. He lost his case in two minutes, for the old squire said that a doctor who couldn't read his diploma had no more right to practice than a magistrate what couldn't read the license he had to join two couple together. End of litigation. Recording by Rick Rodney, Waynesboro, Virginia.